This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awana. Our kids are in a faith crisis and need your help now. We need your best gift to reach even more kids with the gospel and further child discipleship, both in the U.S. and around the globe. Awana works, even in the face of aggressive secularism, and the time to give is now. Give today at awana.org slash lastingfaith. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different, but I wanted to bring you a recent conversation that Awana Community Engagement Manager Melanie Hester had with Awana President and Chief Strategy Officer Matt Markins. As part of our follow-up to the Child Discipleship Forum, Matt and Melanie got together to talk all about how to communicate this critical message of child discipleship to the senior leadership of your church. You can watch this conversation as well as all of our online events if you follow the links in the show notes. Lastly, you'll notice this episode is a bit longer than typical, but I didn't want you to miss anything from what Matt and Melanie discussed. Thanks for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. Good morning, everybody. If it's morning where you're at, it might also be afternoon, but just know that wherever you are, we really hope that it's good. We hope you're having an incredible Monday. Um, What the opportunities God has given us today, this week to start with, um, is different than any other week. So I hope that you are at it and that you are able to see that God has a great plan for the work he has for you. You are with us today. Because we are continuing on this conversation and this post-Child Discipleship Forum series talking about what does it look like for us to take what we've learned. We're adjusting to this concept of um, our kids are living in a post-Christian culture. We're also then internalizing that and we're saying, okay, so what does this mean for me as a leader? What does it look like for me to have discipled them then? And now what is it going to look like for some of those things to be the same, but not all of them? and disciple them differently because of the culture we're living in. And so we've gathered today again with Chief Strategic Officer um, Matt Markins here at Awana. He's going to be helping us understand. So now that we've got all of this information, how do we then connect this and communicate it not only to our volunteer and like the volunteers that come around us, but also then our senior leadership? Because He will tell you one of the key ways that we're going to disciple and see the church of 2050 be leaders, having been kids in our church today, is through connecting our senior leadership to this vision of child discipleship. Mm -hmm. So as we dig into that conversation, as always in the chat, there's opportunities for you to ask questions Please do that if you want to let us know already where you're at and even the area of children's ministry that you serve in. We'd love to hear from you as we kind of get started. So, Matt, thank you, as always, for your time and joining us today. It's great to be with you, Melanie. I'm excited. Just so that you guys know, Matt, we actually have the privilege of having Matt in office right now. And so it's a good week when we're all able to come together. And I know that feels the same for you as you are leading your teams. And so this conversation, Matt, I wonder if you could help us really understand first, um, 
one of the ways that we begin to even talk about this with our senior pastors is that we've identified that ministry previous to um, where kind of we're at. And this isn't a post-COVID versus pre-COVID. This is just a cultural thing. Ministry before looks different than it looks like now and how we engage with the church. So I wonder, um, what's the difference? What have you seen as the difference between then and now? Well, um, yeah, that's a great question, Melanie. I think that um, many churches, one of the things that we're reading now is a lot of churches are, quote unquote, going back to normal. Uh, there's a there's a study that I read just recently that although we thought a lot of churches were going to come out of COVID, you know, I know we're not out of it yet, but mm-hmm. come out of COVID uh, doing things a lot differently. Uh, and one study that I saw here recently said that the reality is most churches are doing things pretty much how they did mm-hmm. before, with the exception of, of a few slight tweaks. You know, maybe we're doing a lot more online giving or a lot more online streaming and some other things mm-hmm. like that. But largely, a lot of churches, not all, but many churches, we're, we're really going back to our comfortable patterns, but we're also changed people. We're not the same individuals. We were, we're, hopefully we're a lot more empathetic. We're more in touch to the pain and the needs of the world around us. And I think we also saw that in the midst of all of the crazy kids kind of got, you know, kids fell between the cracks of our systems and our culture. And sometimes maybe they were even overlooked in, in the local church world. You know, we had to think about how to make online stuff happen but in the meantime, what was happening at home with children? So, yeah, that's a big conversation just within and of itself right there. Yeah. Yes. I know that in the past we've been we've conversed around, um, you know, there's some things that in the past have been good. There's also things that haven't worked quite as well. And one of the, one of these things, as we identify talking with our senior leadership is identifying the difference between attractional based ministry and discipleship and and both identifying the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of that. Right. So uh, what what, what do you think that looks like and how does that play into discipleship in today's culture? Before, before we even go there, let's just kind of take one half step back and think about the importance of the relationship between us as children's ministry leaders and our, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, depending on the scale of your church, it might be an executive pastor, et cetera. Uh, but this is, it's a, a critically important relationship. So for those of us on uh, online here right now uh, participating in this, you might be a children's ministry pastor, you might be a children's ministry director, or you might be an Awana leader, some kind of a high capacity volunteer, but you're, you're engaged in this because you care, right? Uh, but your, your lead pastor, we can many times, we can feel distant from that senior pastor or that lead pastor in our church. But I, th- I think the reality is we want to be aligned and relationally attuned to the lead pastor and the senior pastor of our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many times the senior pastor may just not be a- as aware of what's happening in the children's ministry. But think about this. For those of us who played sports or maybe you played music and you were part of a band, you know, when one instrument or a group of instruments are just kind of mm-hmm. off, you know, the band is not quite uh, yep. making the beautiful music that it needs to, or a volleyball team with one player who's just really daydreaming and not, you know, not participating, or even a spouse. You know, in your marriage, you've got to be both highly engaged uh, in what's happening. In the church, I think we have a real opportunity coming out of COVID to close those communication gaps and yeah. be in really good relationship and contact with our pastor, listening to our pastors 
vision, mission, and heartbeat and making sure that what we're doing with children aligns that. I just think it's incredibly important. So with that as a baseline, like the importance of us as children's ministry leaders or volunteers or pastors being in tune uh, with our lead pastor and the mission of the church with that as a baseline, um, you asked the question, Melanie, about like moving from the attractional model of where we've come from in the past and where are things going in the future? You know, the, so what is the attractional model? You know, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, another word, Melanie, for that would be what, like the, the, uh, church growth movements, like this idea, uh, probably came out of the 1950s and sixties and became more dominant, uh, in places like California and a handful Mm -hmm. of other churches or or, other states around the country, especially by the 1970s. But by the time you get into the eighties and nineties, the church growth mindset, um, or what would you call attractional, as you mentioned, Melanie, uh, that became the dominant mindset of how uh, a local church functions um, uh, in, in our society. And I think it's important to note that it doesn't matter if you're a small church in rural uh, Pennsylvania or a mega church uh, in Kansas City, Kansas. Like, like this idea of attractional or church growth model, it really impacted all of us. Let me give an example. Sure. If, you're, if, you're the, if you're the mega church in Los Angeles, you might have one of the Christian players from the Lakers come be a guest speaker with the motivation of what attracting more people to your church, to get them in the building. Right. But if you are from, you know, Sulphur Springs, uh, Arkansas, and your church is in a Southern gospel area, you might have what, and at your you might have a Southern gospel quartet yeah. come to your church and you're going to put it out there on the church science. The people driving by who hear about the gospel quartet in their magazines yeah. would come participate in that. Right. So this idea of attractional is really something that many, not all, but many churches, mainstream church in the United States really uh, has adopted. But mm-hmm. here's the fallacy. We, we equated getting more people into the church to participate in church services, we equated that with more of those would equal more disciples. And yeah. I think we now, we now know this last decade in particular, we've now realized that that's not a one-to-one that this mm-hmm. did not equal this. And so um, we're, we're really experiencing a shift uh, away from attractional. We've got to talk about where, where the church is going next. Yeah. And so for so many of these leaders on that are listening to this today, they're going to identify to say, well, yeah, I mean, how many times have we heard from our our senior leadership? Like, all right, so how do we equip the children's ministry to have what they need so that we get more families in? Right. This idea of if we have a good, strong children's ministry, then we can disciple the parents. And for some they here listening to this right now, they are the child advocate. They're the child discipleship advocate that are saying, yes, we have to make this more. And that is the very premise and point of this conversation is that we're trying to bridge that gap around you who are saying, let's disciple well, let's do it in a way because these children need Jesus just as much as their parents do. And this concept that's often pastors can come with that say, okay, how do we equip the children's ministry to be able to have kids in a way that brings parents in? And while that's all good, it's still missing this fundamental level of what you're saying, which is discipleship for the kids that are coming to our churches. So really one of the reasons I brought up from the beginning that we as kids pastors or Awana leaders or children's ministry leaders, 
the reason we have the reason I brought up the connection we have to have with our pastor mm-hmm. is because children's ministry has to basically fall in line with the strategy or the vision of that lead pastor and his dom the dominant plan in in the United States over the last several decades has been this idea of the lead pastor having a mentality of I want to grow my church, which by the way, is a great motivation. Who who wants less people? Who wants to reach and disciple? We, of course we want to reach more people, but because the mindset was uh, church growth, we're going to grow, grow, grow. We adopted a, a, a set of step two, step three, step four type of thinking based on that assumption that we have to just get more and more people. Therefore, the, the job, the role of children's ministry became, we have to have an amazing children's ministry that's going to ch- attract a lot of families. Um, so, but again, at the surface, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Of course, we want to grow our church. And of course, we want an amazing children's ministry. But what happened is in order to have that, you know, thriving children's ministry, there was even a book written, I'm going to get the title wrong, but it's something along the lines of making children's ministry the, the, the best hour of a kid's week. Uh, but it was this idea that of making children's ministry highly engaging, highly entertaining. But what happened in the process? Entertainment really crept up in the priority list. Uh, Melanie, you've been a children's ministry research person for many years now, and I know you remember the blogging even yep. 10 years ago. Yep. One of the main themes in all the blogging that the thought leaders in children's ministry was this idea of make your children's ministry like Disney. Disney World. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Make your children's yeah. ministry like Disney World. So inter- because of the attractional model entertainment became a high value uh, within children's ministry. Again, there's, again, there's some good things about Disney. It's clean, you know, Uh, it's, it's engaging, it's entertaining. There's some good values there, but good things that become uh, inflated. What do we call that? We call that like a type of idolatry. Like this value became such a chief value. Um, uh, And on top of that, our culture has shifted from a quasi Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. So we're now at a place where the thought leaders of our day and the research, the Christian researchers have basically said attractional in a post-Christian culture is not going to work. It's not going to produce, it's not going to form resilient disciples in a culture uh, that marginalizes the Christian faith. So if attractional model is in a post-Christian culture is not our future, we have to talk about what we're pivoting toward. Yeah. So I, I love that. What, we have to talk about what we're pivoting towards because I think something that we don't want people to hear right now is that we're, we're saying that you shouldn't want to attract. And you've said that a number of times, and let's just make that very clear. Wanting to bring families into your church is exactly what we've been called to do. Absolutely. Right? But to do it in a way that is entertainment based versus formational based are two very different platforms. So you say, you know, as we point the way forward, what does that look like in terms of wanting to spiritually form, creating ministries based on formation and discipleship? Yeah. So uh, as the the church really... and we're at this unique time and COVID COVID gave us a great time to pause and reflect on everything we just talked about. Um, so another, another kind of 
a church model that we, we quickly skipped in, in an in a effort to really summarize where we've been. It didn't become quite as big as the attractional model, but there was mm-hmm. a model uh, that came over the last several decades uh, called the missional model, which mm-hmm. is about engaging missionally in our community. You know, Jesus, what, what, was, what were some of the things that Jesus was criticized for? He was criticized for hanging out with, with the sinners and the tax yeah. collectors and for breaking bread with people who were considered to be uh, the marginalized, uh, unacceptable people. So Jesus yeah. modeled for us that we are supposed to get close to the pain and the sin and the brokenness of our community. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to reach the loss with the gospel. And so there has been a movement toward missional living, missional church. And I think what we found out um, is that many churches went this direction, but they didn't have the robust disciple making. So we moved from attractional, which is about relevancy. Let's be cool. Let's be relevant. Let's make the gospel attractive. And we got all these people in. Then we pivoted from that right into missional uh, only to discover that we had not fully formed people in the image of Jesus. We we hadn't formed and discipled people in a way that they were really ready to get out there and engage. Uh, The people were being more, more shaped by those they were ministering to than they were actually uh, making disciples of them. So what I want to point out here, Melanie, is as you were saying a moment ago, there are elements of the attractional model that are good. Of course, of course, we want more people to come to know, love and serve Jesus Christ. That's it's the the idea of bringing more people into our church is not really the downfall. The downfall is this motivation of that's just grow, grow, grow at all costs. And the assumption that just by getting them here and them hearing the teaching and preaching that they would become disciples in for hearing and information is not our problem. We're hearing and taking in information all the time. We know that discipleship formation is more than hearing a sermon or singing some songs. It's actually life on life. Yeah. Uh, other people coming alongside of you, uh, mentoring you as well as the practices and the disciplines and, and the routines um, and the habits of living in the ways of Jesus. It's, so it's multifaceted. So that's where the church, again, parts of the church growth movement, positive parts yeah. of the church growth movement. It just made way too many assumptions. So we moved, we moved to this missional again, great motivations. Jesus said, what go into the world and make preach disciples. And he showed, yeah, preach the gospel, make yeah. disciples, baptizing, teaching, yeah. you know, uh, Jesus said to do all this. So we're supposed to get close to the pain of our community. So again, also very good, but we're now into this kind of third uh, movement uh, because we realize there there are there are kind of gaps in both of these uh, instructional and there are gaps in missional and the gap is what the gap is formational meaning yeah. disciple making who is forming me like what is yeah. forming me and so as this relates to, to today's children our children are being obviously considerably formed by the dominant secular culture. And uh, we're asking new questions around, okay, if this is how the secular culture is forming them and how rapidly it's forming them, what is it the church does um, that's going to disciple them or form them in the image of Jesus? Mm. Oh man, there's so much there that I think is so unique, especially in the way that you've unpacked the good and all of it, Yep. but then also what's missing. And it's specifically, specifically around this, this section of um, what was the attractional base. Like if we're trying to create our children's ministries to be Disney world, then essentially we're creating consumers Mm -hmm, of Christianity, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yep. 
Yep. Because at Disney World, the only thing they require me to do is to pay a good chunk of cash, right? And then to just consume what they offer to me. And we know that that is not the kind of discipleship we're looking for. And yet there are parts of Disney that are good. So then shifting over to this missional of living in community and connecting and sharing the gospel is also so good. But then Jesus caused transformation in the lives of the people that's, that, that yeah. followed after him. Right. Yep. And so I, I'd say, so as we look to this middle ground of formation and formation mm-hmm. may have tenants of attractional ministry based to it, and it's going to have tenants of missional ministry. What yep. specifically are the key things that we should be talking about in formational ministry and discipleship? Well, for, for those who have been tracking with the WANA and with the research we've been doing really since uh, easily since 2013, for those of us who have tracked with the conversation, there are three primary factors uh, that form a child disciple. And, and those are belong, believe, become, or belong is highly relational, believe is deeply scriptural, become is truly experiential. And it's not really about any one of those elements. It's about all three working together uh, because these are the three basic needs that all humans have. Belonging is about community, believe is about meaning and become is about freedom. Uh, the, uh, you know, human development uh, uh, shows that hum- these are some of our most basic needs. So what happens is when each one of those gets formed as from, from a gospel perspective, you're shaping one, the child's identity as, as lasting faith in Jesus or a resilient disciple. But I think, I think so let's make this super practical here, Melanie. What, what does this all have to do with our senior pastor? Yeah. Uh, it ha- the, the, the connection back to our senior pastor is many churches are still largely operating. I would say the dominant church model in the West or in the U.S. in particular is this attractional model, church growth. We've got to get more people here. So even though we've shifted from a majority Christian culture to a post-Christian culture, we're still operating as if we're in the majority Christian culture, Mm -hmm. meaning attractional, becoming more relevant, more more cool and getting more people here. That idea is not going to work in the post-Christian realm. So as it relates to our children, if we're going to shift to a model that's more about discipleship or formational or lasting faith. If we're going to shift from attractional, let's be cool. Let's be exciting. Let's be fun. And by the way, we want to be all of those, but it, that's no longer like the big focus. The big focus is what in the world is it that produces yep. a resilient disciple, lasting faith in kids. And let's put our primary energy into that. So if we're going to shift from here to here, we need to be on the same page with our pastor and we need, we need to walk that journey with our pastor and help our pastor understand the shift that we're making. And by the way, uh, discipleship of children is also fun. It's yes. there's, it's also, I mean, working with kids has to be fun. You know, wh- how could it not be fun? It's the yeah. most exciting work on the planet, but it is a shifting in priorities. And we don't want to surprise our senior pastor. We don't want to shock our senior pastor or leave them in, out of this conversation. So I, I think it's a time for dialogue where we ask our pastor, engage our pastor in conversations around, does our pastor see this shift taking place? What does this look like? What, what would it look like to have a different type of children's ministry that's more highly relational, which by the way, highly relational may require a few more what? A few more volunteers, a few more loving, caring adults. And so that's a mindset shift. And that's a conversation we've got to engage our our pastors in. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Advent is marked by the hope of a fulfilled promise and yet the waiting of what is to come. 
It is a time for us to remember all that God has done and faithfully cling to the promise of what he will do. The Promise of a Savior is a free resource designed to equip you, parents, grandparents, and guardians, to lead intentional time and conversation around the promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. While this resource has been designed as a five-week devotional, each discipleship opportunity is distinct and stands on its own. Visit awana.org to receive this resource and join us today as we celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, together. This is so good to get us kind of caught up to where we're at and really understand the shift that we're trying to bring to our pastors. And, and so for those of you who are listening, let's remember back to what Matt mentioned at the very beginning. You all may have varying degrees of relationship with your senior leadership. And so to just set a meeting on your calendar and then just plow through and say, hey, this is how we need to do it. And this is what it needs to look like may not be the best way for you to be able to have this conversation. You need to have relational collateral and that that depth of, of trust and ability to have this, this intentional conversation. And so it may just be first reaching out and saying, hey, can I update you with what our children's ministry is doing? And begin to unpack. This is what it looks like for us to disciple kids now, and that will help you to have that conversation later. Yeah. But then others of you are at the point where you say, yes, I'm involved in all of our staff meetings. Our senior pastor is, is always open. His door is always open for us to be able to have this conversation. And so then Matt and I are going to specifically talk about strategic steps. If you're at that point, knowing yeah. that you have relational collateral, how to then move forward and have this conversation. So Matt, you, you talk about to dig really deep and practical to begin identifying the shift. How, where do we start in this conversation with our pastors? Because I think for me, I would have the, um, I would have the tendency to just lay it all out all at once. And it could be very overwhelming and confusing. So mm -hmm. if there was a place to start, what would that look like? You know, um, it's, it's nice. I don't know if, if, if any of you have ever uh, done something and someone else brags on your work, it's so much better to have someone else brag on your work than to brag on your own work. Uh, there's a, there's a Bishop uh, of a denomination uh, named Sean McKinney uh, in, I believe he lives in Cleveland, Tennessee. And he said recently uh, that resilient, the book resilient, uh, published, uh, that we published last year, he said, the book resilient is the most significant work written on children's ministry in the last 20 years. Wow. So those are his words. Those are his words, not my words. But wow. I say that, I say that to say, if I were to engage my pastor in this conversation, I would open up some of the first few pages of the book resilient. There's a chart near the beginning by Ed Stetzer. So if you don't have a copy of resilient, um, uh, pick up a copy. Uh, Melanie could probably drop in the chat where you can go pick yep. up one of those worst case yep. scenario. You even put your email in there. Melanie. If someone is like, I don't have any money, just email Melanie. We will, we will mail you a free copy. We're happy to do that. But if you don't have a copy and, and you do have $15 or whatever, just get online, get on Amazon, get on our website and buy it. But I would go over that Ed Stetzer chart with our pastor. It talks about the past, the present and the future. And it shows how we're shifting from majority Christian, from a majority Christian culture to a post-Christian culture, and that secularism is the dominant culture of today. And Melanie, I, I thought I thought of this example. 
recently. Have you seen the movie Titanic, like back in 1997? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> remember the remember the band the 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 strings band that plays. You know, the, they're playing yep. before before they hit the iceberg. Yeah. So watch watching that band play before they hit the iceberg does not seem bizarre. For sure. However, however, watching that band play after they've hit the iceberg and the boat is sinking is bizarre. It's strange to watch that. Now, okay, let's equate this to our culture. There was a time when in the United States when we lived in what you would call a majority Christian culture, meaning Christianity was accepted in mainstream culture. Billy Graham was like the ideal human being. Jesus was a relatively positive figure. The Bible and the church had value. All of those things are no longer the case. Billy Graham has been canceled, right? Like, like we are past all of that. We're in a culture now where our culture desires the fruit of Christianity, like, like redemption and freedom and love and happiness, but it doesn't want Jesus. It doesn't want the Bible. So my point in that is kind of like that band who before hitting the ice iceberg playing those violins, that seems so beautiful and wonderful. But when, when the boat was on decline, it just seems out of place. So if we maintain this attractional mindset as when we were in a majority Christian culture, but now we're in cultural decline, right? Like continuing to entertain our kids and thinking that that's somehow going to produce and shape resilient disciples in this post-Christian world, it's really out of step with reality. And so uh, I think one thing I would do to help my pastor see that is to look Mm -hmm. at that Ed Stetzer chart. And I would talk through that together. You know, Uh, that's one thing I think could really, get the communication going so that we could ask the question, okay, pastor, what we're doing with our kids today, the way we've been doing children's ministry the last decade, is it going to form a resilient disciple who's going to thrive in a world where the Christian faith is highly marginalized uh, and really maybe even a culture where it, the, the, the agenda is to silence the Christian voice. And if that's the case, yeah. we need to ask, okay, what is it the church does that creates or that helps form the highest levels of lasting faith and keep pursuing the answer to that question and put more energy into those things and let go of some of the lesser things of, of children's ministry. Like that right there, maybe the last 60 seconds of what I just said right there. I think that is the conversation for the future of children's ministry. And I think we're going to see more and more churches uh, navigate down that pathway. Yeah, Matt, that's such a great example and a place to start. Like, what would it look like? Excuse me. What would it look like for us to sit down with our senior leadership and just ask the question, um, how do you see us forming resilient disciples in our children? And just see if the senior pastor has an answer to that, right? How would they respond to that? And even if you have to take a step back from that and say, do you think that our church should be should be formed and patterned after a, an environment that forms resilient disciples in the, the children that we serve. Yeah. And then I think anyone would probably stumble and probably say something like, well, yeah, of course we should. I absolutely think that we should. Then I think the next question then can go to that, that example you gave that that might even say like, Okay, so would you say that then our ministry model is based more on attracting families or discipling them, right? Yeah, and then that can correct. help you yeah. dig into that conversation. And 
And yeah. let me add, let me add one more thing to that, Melanie. Yeah. Um, it's that, it's that Barna group stat that most human, most humans worldviews are shaped by the yep. age of 13. Yeah. So if we can paint that picture, if, if I can help our pastor, not that our pastor doesn't understand, but if, if we can make sure that we're on the same page understanding with our pastor that we're in a, we're in a highly secularized culture. So what is secularism? It's the dismissal of God and emphasis on the individual. What is a post-Christian culture? It's a culture that wants the fruit of Christianity, but without Christ. Um, so, so if our pastor fully realizes this is the water that our kids are swimming in. Okay. Period. Secondly, if then our pastor can realize on top of that human worldview is pretty much set by age 13 in terms of how you view the framework of reality. Um, hopefully our pastor will be able to see, uh, boy, if that's true, (laughs) you know, we've got to really have a really good approach and a good plan to the best of our ability and how we're equipping parents and how we're using our time with children when we have them at midweek and on the weekends or whatever, um, to, to do anything we can, uh, to, to shape them as resilient disciples. So, um, I think that that Barna stat by age 13 is a big one. And yeah. so I would want to make sure, okay, that Ed Stetzer chart is a great conversation. The things you were just talking about is a great conversation. The Barna, the Barna stat, like all of those can help, I think, set up a good conversation. But let's keep asking a couple of key questions. One of them we already asked, which is, is what we are doing today going to adequately prepare uh, the resilient disciples who are going to yeah. engage the culture and lead the church in the future? I think another way of asking that um, is, is, uh, something that you and I and others discuss at the child discipleship forum. Another way of asking that is in a world of seemingly endless children's ministry options, which ones are going to produce most like more than likely produce lasting faith in children. And I, th- yeah. I think it's important to word it that way because like you, Melanie, and like everyone else on this call, we've been to dozens of children's ministry conferences and we live in a country in, in, in the very wealthy West where there's a lot of options. We have yep. so many options, yep. but what's the philosophy, the theology, uh, the, f- the framework that's most known uh, to produce lasting faith. And, and again, I would contend that it's those three areas of community or relationships, what we call belonging yeah. combined with scripture engagement, scripture rich ministry, not, not a Bible light ministry, but a scripture rich ministry that clearly articulates the robust framework of the gospel to children. We call that become, or believe. And then thirdly is the, what we call become, which is helping kids navigate a very tricky secular culture and helping yep. walk alongside of them. So I think to do that, Melanie, I think a kid's pastor or an Awana leader or a children's ministry director, I think we have to change our mindset to do two things, community builders and equippers. We got to be community builders and equippers. So historically we've, we we may not have articulated this way, but historically we've run programs. We've run very entertaining, high, highly engaging weekend and midweek programs, which again, the program's not the problem. We, we, we're going to still run programs, but we've got to, we've got to prioritize at a, a, a level higher than that community builder and equipper. Now, I, how am I going to do community building and how am I going to do equipping? Probably by running some type of programs, yeah. but the programs need to be designed in this, in this culture where kids are isolated and it's highly secularized. They need more. They need adult loving, caring adults who are part of their community engaging with them. And we need to equip these adults and these parents 
to actually engage the Bible, engage kids in the Bible and to disciple them. So the shift from attractional to discipleship or from attractional to formational, what is that? How does that change my job as a kids ministry leader? I become a community builder and I become an equipper. I think that's the, that's the uh, pathway for the future, but I've got to help my pastor navigate these conversations to help my pastor see this is, this is really what I need to be doing to be the most effective minister of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's such a unique, <clears throat> again, sorry guys, that's such a unique distinction there because I think that as we look we would all identify and say, well, of course I want to be a community builder yeah, and an equipper, absolutely. right? And so yeah. I don't think, I don't think that that concept of sitting in that is new other than what I would consider the right sizing yeah. of, of the priorities of yeah. what there's we're not, doing. There's nothing, there's nothing new in what I just said. And, and in no way am I intending to diminish uh, the way we viewed our roles in the past. It's almost like, you know, there there's you're we're juggling 10 balls right but the reality is we need to we need to maybe put a few down and we need to prioritize a few that are left over right, right? like like some of the things we're doing like like community building and equipping is already happening right what what i'm saying what i'm saying is they've got to be put at the very top of the priority right. list because right. it's by doing those two things that we're going to be able to do those 3 Bs and we're going to be able to form lasting faith because kids pastors are doing what? Like, let's name some of the things you do throughout the year. VBS, Sunday school, like a fall harvest group. kickoff. Yeah. Fall harvest kickoff. Big let's events keep going. like that. Big events. Yeah. yeah I mean, midweek ministry and yeah, some yeah, sort of level. Midweek, and you might have like a Christmas or, or a kids choir or something yeah. that's going on. You know, there's, Easter. we could probably list Easter. Yeah. We could list a dozen, maybe 15 things. Okay. All of those methodologies have real value. But if we said for a moment, we're just going to scoot all those to the side. And we said, what if we started over and we put community building and equipping as the top priorities to what end yeah. to do belonging, believe and becoming relationships, scripture engagement uh, and experiences, then what types of ministries and methodologies would we need to do that? Then you bring in the, all of the methods that we just mentioned. So we've got to start with these objectives and really redesign to those ends. It's, it's making me think so much about um, what I remember um, a, a dear friend to ask me, honestly, probably like six or seven years ago, uh, they would, they encouraged me to say, what do you want your, the, the families and the kids talking about when they leave your church? And they said, most parents are going to ask them the question, did you have fun? Yeah. And as the children's pastor, to be honest, that's the wrong question yeah, for them to be asking their kids, right? Like, yeah. yes, of course, we want them to have fun, yes. But but more importantly, it's like, what did they learn about Jesus that week? How did they see God that mm -hmm. week? What did it look like for them to see God through laughter? What did it look like for them to see God through joy? And, and we kind of unpack that. But it really, that was, that just reminds me exactly of what you're talking about right now is that it's not that all of these different events and the things that we can do aren't good. It's that when we base them off of what can we do to attract more families? Like we want to get to 700 new families this year. It's the difference between saying, actually, we want to build community and we want to equip our leaders. Yeah. So then if we want to do those two things, how does this Easter event fit into that? Yes, and that exactly. might be a byproduct of we are going to have three to 400 new families. It's totally fine. 
Yeah. But it's, it's again, that priority level that you're talking about. Well, you know, about. you know what, what you just said, just there, there's a classic business story of Truett Cathy, you know, Chick, the Chick-fil-A, the founder yeah. of Chick-fil-A. Yep. There's a classic business story where he was upset in a meeting and he pounds the table and he says, I'm tired of everyone talking about us getting bigger. He said, I want to talk about getting better because if we get better, the customers will demand that we get bigger. Okay. And, and I realize that's a business conversation, but the, the ideas are really the same. If a church is truly doing, uh, uh, doing well at, uh, at building community. Yep. And by the way, community alone is like, when you find a rich, vibrant, loving, caring community, do you want to walk away from that? No, you don't want to walk away no, from that. Right. You find yourself saying, how could, how, why would I not want to be a part of this? Right. So right. when you find yourself building rich community and then equipping people to engage kids, to care for kids, to, to, to engage kids in the Bible, to, to disciple them, to teach lessons and so on and so forth. When you do those two things, you're, guess what's probably going to happen. You're probably going to end up growing as a church because you're going to be vibrant. You're going to be filled with life. You're going to be filled with the Holy spirit and God's going to do something really special. Again, it's just a shift in mindset of changing from grow bigger, bigger, bigger to we're going to grow. We're going to grow Jesus inside of people. We're going to form people in Jesus's image. Yeah. That is so key. And I think I keep resonating too, Matt, with what you were talking about around the the worldview. And I think there was something specific there that caught my attention. You mentioned that a human's worldview is set by the age of 12 or 13, right? And I think that what's unique about that is um, that worldview can either be um, steered towards culture and discipled by culture, or it could be a biblical worldview. Like it doesn't, it's not ensuring just because a child attends church does not ensure that they are going to have a biblical worldview. In fact, more data that has been put out by Barna has come out to say that of Gen Z, of all of Gen Z, only 4% of them identify as having a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And so that's another piece to then take to your pastor yeah. that says like, okay, so in tandem with this conversation that their, their worldview is going to be set by the time of 12 or 13, are we, are we fashioning them as disciples? Are we giving them opportunities to love Jesus early enough yeah. and deep enough? at that beginning stage. And then two, are we, are we helping them? And so I, to bring all of that together, it almost kind of makes me feel like it puts us at this point of as leaders wanting to vision cast, we talk a lot about the church of 2050 and where are we headed and how do we make the kids in our churches, the resilient discipled leaders of the church of 2050. So what does it look like for us to kind of sit in that vision specifically with our children, with, with our senior leadership and trying to, to understand the future church and how today's church impacts that? Yeah. So let's, let's end on this. I think, I think um, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier, which, which is conversation and dialogue and praying together with our, I think, I think we've kind of outlined a, a pretty good arc, you know, that sensor chart, the, uh, yeah. shifting from uh, Christian culture to post-Christian culture, the worldview identity, and what is it we're going to do to shape them? I think those are the right conversations. But let me end on this thought, Melanie. Uh, you and I were talking about this last week. Um, w- what was it? We, we heard this in a podcast recently. What was it that made the church growth movement possible? It was the car. The, the vehicle was invented what, in the early 1900s, maybe late 1800s. Yeah. I'm not like a Henry Ford expert, but sure. um, 
the, the car was invented in the early 1900s. And by the 1950s, you know, like the average American home probably had one car. So this idea that, hey, we're going to build another church across town that's going to be more exciting, that's going to have a little more fun, that's going to that's going to you know, have better music. I mean, after all, we're Americans, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like that's how we think that's what we're taught in elementary school. So if you've got options and I can, you know, I don't have to go to the neighborhood community church. That's three blocks away or seven blocks away. And as we use, as our grandparents would walk to that church, we, or, or take the horse and buggy, we actually could hop in a car and for probably a dime worth of gas, right? Like I can go back and forth to church and I can find a quote unquote better church. You know, it's because of the car that that's possible. Well, think about this. What if all of a sudden there were no cars? What if you and I had to walk to church like our uh, parents and grandparents or like, like our great grandparents did? Right. I got to be honest with you, Melanie. I drive 30 minutes to get to church. Same, same here. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no longer going to the same church. Like if, if we go back to a world with no cars, I'm going to walk down the street to the one of the three or four churches that's in close proximity. Mm-hmm. And I've got a few options, but my options are limited, right? I, I think as, as we, we've got to put ourselves in those types of situations to do a mental exercise to say, what really is, what, what are we really after here? You know, if we had to start over, what would our motivations be for the type of approach we'd want to take? So I would talk to to my pastor about that. Like if there were no cars and we were going to only reach people who were in walking distance to our church, what would we be about? And I think that's a really good exercise to go through to really put our feet on the ground to help us realize what the attractional model has done to us. Again, the good, the bad and everything in between. And have the conversations around what if, like Jesus, we focused on forming the few, yeah. discipling the ones that God brings to us and going deep with them. And by the way, those people are going to be more, they're going to be growing more. I love the kids in the background, by the way. They're going to be growing deeper. And guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be ministering alongside of you, increasing the horsepower, the Holy Spirit power of your church. And so these are the conversations uh, that we can have with our pastor. And the, I love the cute kids. We're about kids <laughs> ministry. This is so great. I know. I love it too. And we're going to wrap up here because I think this is such a great place to, to, to settle. But Matt, I think what you're saying is we are going to be connecting with our pastor about what does it look like to say, if this is the leader of 2050, right? Who is it that is going to be leading? And what were the moments of like formational discipleship that led them to this place? And then as a church, implement that discipleship journey so that you can help gather people. And in that incredible Kathy story, it's not that because we're just attracting more people, it's that because the discipleship, the pathway of the people in our churches and the transformation that Jesus is doing in their lives is so big that people are coming because they want to have an interaction like that with Jesus as well. Thanks to Matt and Melanie for the time. And thank you for listening especially all the way to the end. Quick note for those of you who are our most dedicated listeners, we'll be off next week for Thanksgiving. I sincerely hope you have a great Thanksgiving with your loved ones. But we will be back on December 2nd to start a series of conversations all about students and youth. 
You're not going to want to miss this series. Our first guest is Kara Powell, and that episode will drop on December 2nd. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash lastingfaith. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links to this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.